Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm. Today we have a little something different on Murder Most Foul. It is a murder-slash-ghost-hunting crossover episode. In 2006, Robert Graves and his wife Vicki bought Fox Hollow Farm in rural Indiana. It had been the home and killing grounds of Herb Bomeister, who, in the early 1990s, killed and buried on the grounds at least 11 gay men. Paranormal investigator Richard Eztep and his team investigated ghostly phenomenon at the farm at the invitation of the Graves family. Their story will haunt you. In much the same way, the spirits still haunt Fox Hollow Farm. Well, from 1980 to 1996, young gay men were disappearing from the gay bars in downtown Indianapolis. And from 1980 to 1991, all of these victims were found along the I-70, Interstate 70 corridor from Indianapolis to Columbus, Ohio. They were all strangled, all from gay bars in downtown Indianapolis. And, uh, but all those killings stopped in 1991 which coincides when he purchased this farm. So the theory is that, you know, now he had a place to dump them. So he was into something called erotic asphyxia. And after he picked these guys up at some point, and he lured them back to the farm with the promise of a swim in an indoor pool. And these guys would come up here. He, you know, he wasn't knocking them over the head and dragging them up here. He, they, these, these guys came willingly. So uh, when he got here, he would kind of tell him what he was into, and these guys would allow this. And you know, the FBI profiler told me the goal was probably never to kill anyone, at least initially. But at some point, someone died, and after that, it became a compulsion or a habit, or, or, or he knew somebody was going to die. So uh, he would choke them to death, uh, sometimes using a pool hose. Uh, this is from the, the person that he did not kill. Uh, one person was not killed, and this person gave us most of the background into sort of his M.O. So uh, the, eventually the gay community in Indianapolis put enough pressure on the Indianapolis Police Department to try and figure out what was happening to these, uh, these men. And up till that point, not much was being done. These guys were drifters, uh, drug addicts, male prostitutes, people they described as living at the margin of society. So there wasn't a lot of investigating going on. So eventually, once the gay community was allowed to uh, give information, they said one guy raised his hand and said, there's a guy 
in Hamilton County, which is where we are, where the, the farm is located. There's a guy in Hamilton County strangling people. And of course, they want to know where this is. And this person that was up here that he did not kill could not tell with any accuracy where he had been. The official story is he was only here one time. Uh, he came up here. He allowed her to her, Herb to strangle him, uh, not to death. He sort of faked a death or passing out. And then once he came back to life, as it were, he told Herb, said right to him, he said, you're hurting people. I'm going to go to the authorities. And of course, Herb looked at him and said, no one's going to believe anyone like you. And unfortunately, he was correct. Eventually, uh, they went to his place of employment and asked him to search the property. They thought he was involved with these, what they termed homosexual homicides. And he, of course, denied, denied them that. Uh, search. So they go to his wife and she proclaims that I've been married to him for 25 years. He's never so much as put a bruise on me accidentally. She said, it doesn't make any sense. Get proof. Well, of course, they didn't have proof. So uh, eventually his behavior became so bizarre, even for her. And I really felt like sh she probably felt she might be implicated if she didn't cooperate. So she allowed them while he was away at their lake condo, a little bit north of Indianapolis, to come onto the property and search. And at that point, they had found uh, the bones. And unfortunately, one of the detectives that was here, his uh, girlfriend worked for a local news station, and she sort of uh, reports this to the media or to the public that this is what's going on up here at a farm uh, north of Indianapolis. He sees it on the news, drives to Canada, and kills himself. So he was never really questioned other than that initial contact with the police. But uh, he never admitted anything about the crimes. He did leave a suicide note, apologized for leaving the family in financial ruins, apologized for messing up the uh, pristine beach that he was on, and he did tell in the note that he only left one bullet in the gun because he didn't want a child to find the gun. And about uh, 15 years later, uh, you and your wife, Vicki, buy Fox Hollow Farm, uh, the site of more than one murder. Um, tell us about that. And I can tell you, when we first moved in, there, there was a, uh, uh, you thought about it a lot more. I, I hardly think about it at all now, what happened here. But the first night, it was... Uh, uh, I think we all slept in the same room, but, uh, it, you know, it's a large place and it was empty. And if you really think about what happened here, it's, it, it could be a little off putting, but, uh, we, it very quickly, we turned it into a home and we, we were here about a year, I would say before the first thing happened. And that was, of course, if, if you've read the book, my wife saw a man, in, in the woods to the west side of the house, sort of walking away, but uh, he was, uh, he had no legs. Uh, it was sort of a, 
uh, an apparition with no legs kind of walking in, away, away from her into the trees. That was the first thing that happened. And at that point, she told me she had seen it twice. She described him as a, uh, he had a red shirt on and he had very short hair, what she described as like a military style haircut. And she said she wasn't frightened by it. She said she almost felt like she had, was meant to see it. So uh, I don't know if he, we don't know if he's trying to show her where something is, where he might be buried or something to that effect. That's been a couple of the theories. Now, in uh, addition to your family, you had a renter who rented your, the um, in-law apartment at the farm, and his name was Joe LeBlanc. And uh, soon after he moved in, he sort of got the, um, the paranormal ball rolling uh, f uh, towards investigation, didn't he? Joe was a renter. He rented our in-law quarters from us, a young guy. Uh, he was playing around on the Internet and uh, apparently looking for things about this house. And he came across a website uh, from a paranormal group that had come to the property about a year before we had moved in. Um, I know the owners would not have liked this, but uh, the caretaker I told you about would let people onto the property. So Joe, uh, the renter, Joe, suggested I call this guy. And I really wasn't interested in pursuing anything about the crimes or really about anything. We were trying to forget all this. So he relented. I finally relented and I emailed the guy, which led to a phone call. And the guy, I said, well, you know, when you were here, did you find out, you find anything? And he says, well, yeah, that's one of the most haunted houses in Indiana. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, haven't you seen anything? And I said, well, I haven't seen anything, but my wife saw something. And on the telephone, he told me, let me tell you what she saw and where she saw it. He said, you look out your master bathroom window to the west side of the property. She saw a guy in a red shirt with no legs uh, over by these trees. And of course, that's exactly what she had seen. And at that point, he offered to come out to the house with a paranormal group and do an investigation to try to tell me what's going on. And I said, no, I, I, I said, no, I wasn't interested in that. So more time went by and it was about six months later and this guy called me, same guy, and said, I have a paranormal group, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, I'm at a paranormal conference here in Indianapolis. I have people from the History Channel, the Travel Channel, the Sci-Fi Channel, and we would love to do an investigation for you, but it has to be this week. And I don't know, something told me I agreed to it. And these people came out to the house, did their little investigation, of course, told me many things about the crime, about the killer, very specific things, but it's all on the internet. Uh, there's, there's been another book written about it back in 1997 with all this information. And so I really didn't, I didn't buy it. It was a little too, they knew too much. And, uh, but they did tell me some very specific things that if they truly didn't know, then, then maybe there was something to all this.
So let's uh, let's bring Richard Estep into the conversation. Um, Richard, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how um, you came to be interested in this uh, uh, particular story? Yeah, so I've been a paranormal investigator now for 25 years. Um, I'm, I come from the UK and I investigate when we're allowed to travel on both sides of the Atlantic. And uh, it's a real joy for me to um, investigate haunted places and try and tell their story as accurately as I can. So I make my living as a paramedic, but um, I've written 25, 26 books uh, in this field. Uh, and I contacted Rob because I'd, I'd seen Fox Hollow um, mentioned. I'd seen some things have been written about it, but I didn't see the full story anywhere. Uh, and, and I wanted to research and write a respectful, uh, respectable also account um, of the history and the haunting. And with Rob being such an expert in the crime um, and, and me having the paranormal aspect covered, I thought we could come together to tell the story um, in, in a respectful way. And hopefully that's what we did. Not everybody is nice enough to let you have access to their home. <laughs> And it's important to remember that, you know, unlike 99% of serial of locations where murders take place, um, Fox Hollow was not demolished, although I think people wanted to. Um, it became a family residence. And I actually really liked that idea because it's a beautiful house. The graves are a wonderful family and, you know, it deserves to be lived in and enjoyed. And Rob and Vicky and, and their, their uh, boys opened the house to me and my team not once, but twice, we did two trips out to Fox Hollow um, and investigated um, as much as we could of the house and of the grounds. Now, uh, Richard, you and, and your team, uh, of course, brought um, equipment, electronic equipment, recorders that can record um, ghostly, if you will, sounds and voices. And also you obviously paid attention to, to Joe, who had a lot of um, experiences with uh, physical manifestations, uh, things moving and, and knocking and, and whatnot. Um, he was uh, you know, a good witness to what was going on at, at uh, Fox Hollow Farm. Joe, uh, Joe came to me and, and said that there, the door, we have a heavy horse head door knocker on that in-law quarters door. And he said that it was knocking loudly and it seemed to always be between 1.30 and 1.45 in the morning. And it was always seven times, a very insistent uh, knocking, always seven times. We found out later that Herb had lived up in that apartment the year before he uh, killed himself with his son. She had filed for divorce and he kind of stayed up there. And this lawyer told us that Herb was forever being locked out of that apartment by his son, and he would have to bang on that door. So the theory is uh, he's still trying to still trying to get in. But a lot of people believe that Joe was the catalyst for a lot of the paranormal activity. Uh, he was a young guy, uh, moved into that space, single guy, and. The, the paranormal acti activity certainly accelerated when Joe moved in. Whether he started it or not, that's just a theory, but he did get the brunt of the activity. He said that that door, that knocking, he was here about two and a half years. It had, 
knocked like that uh, 35 times, I think he counted. The spirits want to let you know they're around. And when they do something that we can see or hear, um, they're in our world. We're told that they're, they're sort of stuck here and uh, haven't moved on or gone to the light. Um, but I really believe that they appear to people they feel can help them. And I can't because I don't see, uh, I don't see them. Uh, I only see the, some of the things that they do. Uh, most frequently, they move things from one end of a shelf to another. Richard, um, tell us about um, your first trip uh, to Fox Hollow Farm, um, you know, with, with your, your crew. Well, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't make a better start to a story, but it was a dark and stormy night. Um, when we arrived in Indiana, I, I remember not being able to see more than a, a few feet in front of us on the road. And it's easy to miss um, the, the entrance to Fox Hollow Farm. I know, Rob, you still have the, uh, the original wooden sign that's been there forever. And it kind of comes at you out of the darkness if you, if you aren't careful. Um, and so it looked, it looked like every creepy movie you've ever seen coming up to the house um, late one night. But Rob uh, was very friendly and uh, kindly gave us a tour of the house. And when the weather calmed down the blind, uh, the um, grounds, I'm sorry, uh, took us around the grounds and had shown us where her Baumeister had tried to dispose of the bodies of his victims in two piles called the mulch pile. So, so Rob, Rob gave us the grand tour. And, you know, to his credit, he never tried to, to influencers or, or anything of that nature. He said, you have the run of pretty much all of these areas, especially the swimming pool and the bar, which connects to the pool where Herb committed most of his murders. Um, and he said, go to town, you know, ask me anything you want, go everywhere within reason. We tried to stay out of, you know, the personal space of Robin and, and Vicky and the kids upstairs, but we were still allowed to go into all the rooms. And it's genuinely strange to see, you know, her Baumeister's bathtub and her Baumeister's bedroom and things of that nature. Um, and then we decided to focus on, on the hot spots. And we had a number of very strange things happen to us over the space of our two visits. I mean, um, probably the one of the more interesting ones happened on the last night that we were there. We, uh, we'd had um, some bottles of water disappear, just literally disappear into thin air. Uh, when we had left them alone in the day. And Rob said that things move along the shelves and things like that. Some of our water just upped and disappeared. Uh, Rob, Vicky, their boys had not um, taken the bottles. They were just gone. And we'd left a camera running, and these were just a few inches out of the frame of the camera. But I do remember that we were staying in a hotel, and um, I think we finished at about 5 o'clock in the morning. It was still dark, uh, dark winter's morning. Went back to our hotel and my head just hit the pillow, it felt like. And I, my phone is ringing, so I kind of crack one eyelid very blearily. Uh, and I'm like, what time is it? What time is it? Oh, it's like 6.15. And um, it's Vicky. And she said, you know, Richard, you guys have been uh, good house guests, but you're making a lot of noise stomping around down there and we're still trying to sleep. And uh, I said, I don't know how to tell you this, Vicky, but I'm at the Best Western. <laughs> um, I wasn't my whole team was gone and we, we, we closed up the house and we were long gone. So somebody was stomping around down there after we had gone, um, which sent a, sh a shiver down my spine. And I wasn't even in the house at the time. Uh, we had, uh, we'd also gone out into the woods and uh, Rob had kindly arranged for us to meet 
with the one surviving um, victim of, of the murders, he kindly came back to, to share his perspective. And he took us out to, to some spots in the woods and said that he had a strong impression, a belief that her Baumeister had disposed of some remains in a very specific spot. Uh, and he said, you know, I bet if you, were, if you would dig here, you might well find something. And that kind of tore me because I didn't want to leave without making sure, you know, without ruling that out. I think one of the most tragic things about the Fox Hollow case uh, is that so many of these poor boys are going unburied. They got no Christian burials, you know. Uh, and as Rob will tell you, that their bones turn up all the time. Parts of them are still out there in the woods, right? And maybe for a very long time. So we dug um, and dug and dug, with Rob's permission, I would add, did not find anything. But we left voice recorders running. And um, when we played back the audio from that recorders, from those recorders, very clearly you hear a raspy male voice saying the words, get away from there. It's very, very clear. So those are just two examples of, of the things that we that we uncovered. And Rob was completely unfazed by any of this stuff as well. I think that um, he and the family have just gotten so used to life at Fox Hollow. They, they seem to coexist very happily with what spirits are there. But uh, to me, it was definitely a bit of a chill. Um, now, Robert, not all the, the spirits, apparitions, if you will, were faceless. Um, there is a, a very interesting... Um, section of the book where you describe um, Joe and Vicky and yourself watching um, video of a of a, a you know A and E program and um, seeing a startling picture. Yeah, so uh, Vicky and Joe and I was there and we were watching uh, a document. It was a documentary, I believe it was Secret Life of a Serial Killer, which was on A and E hosted by Bill Curtis. It was one of the very first shows ever done on this case back in, uh, it had to been in 97. And they were showing some of the victims that had been identified their photos. And as they were flipping through on the television screen, uh, one of the victims' photos, Joe had recognized. Joe had seen the same uh, person, if you will, uh, that Vicky had seen in the woods. And he said, that's him. And I believe that was um, Alan Broussard, one of the victims. Um, but it was the, uh, that's who that Joe felt he had seen in the woods and had kind of matched that, what he had seen up with what was on the television. Uh, in the book, uh, Chapter 7, which is titled Attacked, has a, um, a very chilling uh, recounting of something that happened to Joe in the pool. And I'd like to just sort of read uh, a section of that. Without any kind of warning, Joe felt a set of fingers close around his neck from behind, snaking around on either side of his chin in a way that was almost sensuous. The hands were ice cold and man-sized, too big to belong to either of the boys. 
Joe was understandably startled. Spinning around, he fully expected to find his friend treading water behind him, laughing at the prank he had just played. His friend was 20 feet away at the other end of the pool. So were the boys. So none of them could have made that trip in a split second. Pushing out from the side of the pool, Joe took a few strokes into the middle of the water. His mind was working on overdrive, trying to figure out what had happened. Suddenly, the hands were back, and this time they were locked around his throat, squeezing it in a grip that was so strong and powerful like a vice. Joe felt himself being dragged underneath the water. Holding his breath, he struggled for all he was worth, thrashing and kicking. He tried to pry the hands away from his throat, but there was nothing there for him to grab onto. And just like that, they were gone. The pool seems to be the, the center of, of most of the paranormal activity at Fox Hollow. So um, I, I had seen it on Ghost Adventures, uh, which is the first time I became aware of the farm. And I was surprised that they did not go in the pool. Uh, and I was determined that I was gonna. I brought some swim shorts with me, in fact. And um, we went in, I want to say it was November. It was, it was cold. And uh, Rob was like, Rob said, you know, I'm going to bring the pool cover back. And yes, you can go in, but it's not heated. It's freezing. Uh, he said, you know, it costs like 800 bucks in a week to warm the pool up. So I like you, but not that much. Or <laughs> words to that effect. So, you know, I got in the pool. It was the, it was the most, it was the coldest I've been in a very long time. Uh, and um, we, we recorded the sound of an EVP while I was in that pool of, of somebody saying the word Laura, which is my wife's name. Um, and, and as far as I'm aware, and again, you know, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, there's no Laura associated with Fox Hollow that I know of. So that, that kind of struck me as a, as a rather, you know, uh, creepy thing to experience down there. Um, so Richard, what I'm curious about, and I'm sure my listeners are too, uh, do you have an opinion or a feeling um, of who the, um, the spirits that are still around Fox Hollow Farm, are they uh, a spirit of Herb uh, Bowmeister, uh, the murderer, or are they spirits of his victims, or, or maybe both? Um, Rob was kind enough to refer us to uh, a psychic medium that was, was very reputable. Um, Rob vouched for this gentleman's ability. He told Rob things that um, he could not possibly have known. And so Rob's word is good with me. So we brought him in, um, and uh, he had talked about the fact that, you know, yeah, the victims are here, or some of them are here, which is an awful thought that they're not able to move on. Uh, and and that's, that's what most of the touching was, um, you know, that it was, it was kind of a, a reaching out kind of sensation. But then others, other mediums have said that there is something negative that likes to pretend to be Herbert Baumeister. Uh, and that's where some of the more frightening interactions have, have been. Um, you can lay them at the, the door of it or that or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, and the truth is, I don't know. I don't know who's right. I know that some people have said they've seen Herb's apparition at Fox Hollow. I can't say that I ever did. Um, others have said it's the victims. Others have said it's something negative that arose because of the negative energy of what occurred there. Maybe it's all of that. Maybe it's none of that. Um, and I think a good researcher and a good writer never tells the reader what to think i can't tell you exactly what is the case um i just hope that 
whoever or whatever is there is is not trapped uh, and and if they are that they are able to move on at some point um, but I, I do know that the farm last I spoke to Rob um, is is getting quieter the activity seems to have eased off a little bit um, which I found encouraging isn't that right Rob yeah that's true uh, the medium that you spoke of uh, Brian uh, he does he comes by frequently uh, he he would never come here at night before but he will stop by now at, at night or when it's dark i should say uh he said that it's died down a great deal um so he said you know maybe some some have moved on but uh he said it is quieter The book is The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm, Unraveling the History and Hauntings of a Serial Killer's Home. And it has been my pleasure uh, to have Richard Estep and Robert Graves, the authors, uh, with us today to uh, guide us, take us on a guided tour. Um, it's been fascinating mixing um, serial killing uh, with, with paranormal activity. Um, so, Richard, anything you'd like to say in, uh, is in way of a wrap-up? I loved the case. I loved working with Rob and everybody at Fox Hollow. Um, but I've gone on to do several more paranormal books. And my first non-paranormal book on serial killers is out tomorrow, um, April 1st. It's called Serial Killers, and it's by Visible Ink Press. Uh, and, and I really have Fox Hollow to thank for the opportunity to start writing about, you know, this, this true crime element of things. Um, and and I, I'll be very grateful to Rob who, you know, um, took the time to step me through the crimes and the motivations and things like that. I could talk to Rob about her Baumeister for hours and he knows so much um, and was so gracious with his time and his expertise. And it, it really is one thing to hear about these things, but when you're standing in the man's kitchen, when you're standing in the woods where he did what he did, it adds a whole other element um, to hearing those stories. And uh, Robert, you and your wife, uh, Vicki, are still uh, living at Fox Hollow Farm. And I understand one of your um, grown sons uh, lives there, too. Um, now, William, my youngest, who's 24, is now he he lives in that space where Joe lived. And he 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 still hears the footsteps and he does hear the door knocking periodically but once again it it it's nothing bad and and we sort of put up with it i guess is how you'd say it before we sign off um richard uh, again you have indicated of course you have a lot of books and your uh you do have a website where uh, uh people can um uh, you know Peruse your catalog, if you will. Certainly, your books are available on Amazon and other, uh, you know, internet uh, uh, booksellers. So, uh, why don't you give my audience uh, your contact information? Absolutely. Um, you can catch me online at www.richardestep.net. That's R-I-C-H-A-R-D-E-S-T-E-P. Um, drop me a line. Say hello. And um, Robert, we want to at least mention um, your um, car dealership, don't we? 
yeah, Audi Indianapolis. Yeah. No, uh, no, Richard, Richard's the author and he's the go-to guy on all that. Uh, uh, I just, uh, trying to pay for the place. I'd like to thank my listeners today to Murder Most Foul. I hope you enjoy this little departure from our usual fare. You can check out other episodes through my website, which is www.murdermostfoul, all one word, no caps, no spaces, dot com. You can also leave me an email. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, offer suggestions. And also, if you are interested in this sort of ghostly episode, I suggest you uh, try listening to the episode entitled The Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. In that segment, I interview two of the tour guides at the Bed and Breakfast and listen to their stories of ghostly happenings. So, until next time. Thank you.